This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. I want to begin today, you guys, with a question that is incredibly important to me because I want to know from you. I mean, who among us hasn't resorted to stress eating at least a couple of times during the COVID crisis? So I'm dying to know what you guys turn to. Is it salty? Is it sweet? Okay, so if you don't know me by now, I need both in one bite. And I swear, multiple times this year, my go-to make me feel better food has been boom, chicka pop, kettle corn. And so my producer, Julia McGonigal, somehow read my stomach, I mean my mind, and delved into the boom, chicka pop story. And lo and behold, it is a perfect fit for everyone talks to Liz, a business idea that started at the grassroots level and through sheer will and dedication and quite a few stumbles and falls has exploded over the years to a massive snack brand. So we thought we've got to share with you this sweet success story of Angie and Dan Bastian's Boom Chicka Pop Popcorn. You guys, I am obsessed with this. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Liz. We're, uh, we're excited to be on here with you. Such a compliment that you love the product. It makes my heart fly. Oh, well, I mean, how can I not? It, it truly is addictive. And usually I'll stop at a certain point when I'm snack eating, like I'll stop at half a sleeve of Girl Scout cookies, but I literally cannot stop if I have a bag of Boom Chicken Pop. So I hate you guys, but welcome. And I'm thrilled that you're okay. here. I want to start at the beginning. Um, where, first of all, did you two meet? And then what was the kismet moment where you said, we want to start this popcorn company? Yeah. Um well, I can start. I, I, I was a psychiatric nurse practitioner and I was working in New Mexico, in Gallup, New Mexico, as a nurse. And um, it was after graduate school at Emory. And then um, Dan was there teaching high school um, and coaching. And we met in his uncle's kitchen in Gallup, New Mexico in 1992. Dan, you and- remember that moment? Yeah, it, what was what was ironic about it was in, I played baseball in college, and so I, I broke my jaw my junior year in college. I got hit by a line drive. I was a pitcher, and so I went through this whole six weeks, eight weeks of being wired shut in college. All of a sudden, move ahead three years. I'm in my uncle's kitchen. We're talking, and I I see Angie. And she tells me this story that she broke her jaw like oh, months previous. Wired shut. Wired shut, just like it. So yeah. we kind of had something to talk about. <laughs> we both had broken jaws. And, uh, <laughs> so we kind of took it from there. I like Ann said, I was teaching at the time. I was teaching high school in, in Gallup, New Mexico. And we, we both kind of found our ways uh, our way there. And, and it really kind of started a relationship uh, between us that eventually led to marriage and two children. <laughs> wait, wait. So you, you shared on your first sort of meeting, your maxillofacial surgeries. <laughs> drinking, drinking your dinner through a straw and, you know, carrying your scissors with you in case, you know, something well, happens to cut your jaw. You know, I mean, I could, I could relate to her challenges and, and like, I was, I felt bad for it. It's like, oh my gosh, I thought I was the 
only person I had to go through this. Now I've met another person. So I, I you know, it was very, uh, it, I mean, it's, it's a great story now. <laughs> oh, that is amazing to me because who knows what brings two people together. All right. So, you know, TMJ surgery. Okay. I get it. Um, let me sort of fast forward to the popcorn effort mm-hmm. and how that came about. Give me that first moment where you thought, let's do this. Well, we moved back to Dan's hometown, Mankato, Minnesota, and I was working in the state hospital one evening and I got a phone call from Dan. Uh, I'm going to say it was like 10 o'clock at night because I was working evenings and and he said, what do you think about kettle corn? I was like, "Uh, yeah, I like kettle corn just fine. I got to go, you know. And maybe you can just tell why yeah. cattle corn. Angie and I had been spent. We had lived in Florida, where her family's from, uh, for a number of years in the '90s, and we had kind of experimented with different businesses, and we wanted to do something together. And when we when we made the decision to move back home to Minnesota, to my home back here in Minnesota, we 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 were kind of it was still going. You know, our minds were still burning up. Like, what can we do together? I went back into teaching. Andrew's back in psych. And, and so at night times, I would, when I, kids would go to bed, Angie would be out at work. I would look for businesses and franchises online. And one night, lo and behold, I get kicked to the site, this popcorn site with popcorn popping and said, make thousands of dollars every weekend popping kettle corn. And so all of a sudden it's like, well, we can't figure out what we want to do. Let's get started on something. You know, I'm a teacher. I got potentially weekends and summers free. We can set up the tent, pop like at a state fair, stuff like that. And that was the start of it. Yep. And, and you know, from my perspective, I was like, okay, we, we both have careers. Let's do this side hustle. Let's bring the kids along. Let's use it to build a college fund for the kids because, you know, we hadn't started yet. And um, and then we could teach them, you know, how to work together as a family and, you know, say thank you and make change. And, you know, it was like a little concession, like tent that we would that we would sell kettle corn and we would pop it and, you know, we'd drag the kids along and have them help. But we, we, I don't think we ever initially anticipated that this was going to be our business. I mean, you know, it's like, this is just a side hustle. We make a little extra money. And it wasn't until we realized two years into it that this is a lot of work. We want to be setting up our tent and going, dealing with the weather and at these fairs. And that's when we made the decision. I decided to stop teaching and focus on this full-time and set up a little operation where we can manufacture it indoors, package it, and ship it to retail outlets. And it was, you know, that was kind of the start of the, the, the business. Well, talk to me about who came up with the recipe. You, you said you had found this online, you know, hey, pop and make thousands of dollars. Did you tweak the recipe and boom, yeah. chicka pop? Like what? Talk to me about how oh, yeah. this yeah. incredible <laughs> snack came about. We bought the equipment from a couple out of Gig Harbor, Washington, that was building the equipment. And we just called them up and said, hey, you know, like, what what do you use to make it? And they kind of told us. And so we went and bought some stuff. And then we just we just started practicing in the garage, you know, to tweak it until we got the recipe just right. And uh, I mean, and honestly, the first two batches that we made, we just burnt, stunk up the whole neighborhood. (laughs) But then we got it right. And and then, you know, we just and and then it was Dan and I out there selling directly to people. And so we would get direct feedback from, you know, from our customers and they'd say, oh, I like a little sultry. I like a little sweeter. 
that's the grassroots part of this, going to state fairs. And I know from state fairs, I worked in, in Columbus, Ohio for many years, and I went to the Ohio State Fair and saw the butter cow and, and ate the funnel cakes, et cetera. But this, this story is very similar to another, one of our first Everyone Talks to Liz guests, and that was Anne of Auntie Anne's Pretzels, because she bought a pretzel business and then realized this, these pretzels don't taste good. So she fixed the recipe and now, of course, she's a multi, multi, multi-millionaire and sold the business and franchises, et cetera. But to me, let me go to the part where you burned the popcorn <laughs> twice. Did you think to yourself, what are we doing? I'm a teacher. You're a nurse. That didn't come till much later. What are we doing here? <laughs> Burning a couple batches of popcorn was no big deal to us. Like, so what? Let's go. Let's do this. <laughs> It's a great question because, you know, everyone kind of dives in in their own way when they start a business. Some people are like, we're going hard right out of the gate. Others kind of go in casually and then they kind of get, you know, realize this is something we want to do. And I think when we, when we made that decision, you know, to do this on the side, it was more of a casual on the side that really intensified. And it was as it intensified and you get deeper and deeper and deeper into it you say, what am I kind of doing, but I can't really get out, you know? And, and I think (laughs) you've got the handcuffs. You're too deep into it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, debt and, um, and time commitment and, and partnerships, you know, somebody gives you an opportunity. You want to honor that opportunity and, and do it, you know? Can I ask you about material and, and actual commodities? So you had to, buy the corn, sugar, salt, and whatever secret uh, recipe is in there. And Mm -hmm. that must have been a totally new experience for you, having to deal with wholesalers. Well, sort of. We, I mean, the first, I mean, we we took it in very small incremental steps. So the first products that we bought, we went to like um, a warehouse and bought our oil there. and, And then we bought our popcorn from a concessionaire and you know, and then, you know, we would just buy, you know, stuff at the grocery store that we needed. And and it wasn't until we got big enough that we started, you know, buying much larger quantities. And, you know, that's, you know, we had time to learn. And then by the time we were, you know, had a procurement office and things like that, we had people that knew what they were doing. And Okay, and- now we're getting crazy with the procurement office. <laughs> I need to find out when you realized wait a minute, this is getting pretty serious. I mean, was that when the Minnesota Vikings suddenly discovered you or was it before that point? Well, they discovered us the first year because uh, they come to, well, they used to come to Mankato for uh, training camp. And so we just thought, oh, we want to be associated. We want to dance a huge fan, you know, and we just thought, it would be so fun to for the players and everyone to eat our popcorn. So we made a few phone calls and we gave them 120 bags of popcorn um, just because we thought it was, was fun and cool for, for the players. And it was during the time of Dante Culpepper and Randy Moss. And mm. Dan has been like this huge Vikings fan. I, I never understood till I moved to Minnesota, but a Vikings fan his whole life. And, um, you know, when they came to us, the sales and marketing office said, hey, the players and coaches love this stuff. Um, 
you know, do you want to be the official kettle corn of the Minnesota Vikings? And Dan was like, well, does it come with tickets? <laughs> you know, what matters? <laughs> Damn, that must have been a great point. You know, the question, I mean, it was like there, there was a lot of like turning points. And early on, it was like getting, you know, some legitimacy when the Vikings, we had a contract with them. And so other events around the state or Midwest would recognize us that, hey, we can handle big crowds. And then, you know, as we moved away from the event side and moved into wholesaling it out to retail outlets, you know, I, it probably was, you know, five years into it, six years into it before we really thought, oh, my gosh, there might be something to this. I mean, we were just trying to survive. You know, the first five years, you're just you're trying to figure out what works. What are we going to do? How are we going to pay the bills? We're continuing to go further and further in debt. And yet we're working harder and harder. And it, it, it's just kind of overwhelming. Those first, you know, for us, the first seven, eight years were just incredibly, incredibly difficult in well, trying to get our arms around it. To that end, was there a point where you were really anxious and nervous uh, where you thought, I'm sure there were many points, but one where you thought, I, I just don't know, you know, you had little kids, you're thinking about college down the road. Uh, you also had real professional careers you could fall back on. And I think a lot of people listening think, well, you know, take the safe route. How did you avoid giving up? Um, well, the, and this is, I think we talked about this the other night in terms of like, I'm not sure we could have done it alone by ourselves. And we know we couldn't have, but because Dan and I first had partnership and we were, you know, we had to, each other to lean on. And, um, and when one was tired and exhausted, the other one sort of tried to help or step in. And, and, and I think we, we also just complement each complimented each other and because we have very different things we bring to the table and Dan is that driver 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 you know and and I would say there was a point when we were starting to build out a manufacturing plant I mean we had just grown so fast that we we were just scrambling to hire employees and build a manufacturing plant and then you know you have to finance that somehow and we had and it was it was early 2007 and, and had, had we not moved forward and we, and we had like many banks that said no to us. And finally, 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 we got a bank that said yes. And we were way over our skis and, you know, signing that, um, that loan to finance the build out of our manufacturing plant. Um, but had we waited, you know, after 2000, it never would have happened. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is a message I, I really want you to drill down on uh, because people listening will say, well, oh, my gosh, I would have after the 12th no from a bank, I might have said, forget it. There was about 12 no's. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I think we you know, I, it all came back to one. Angie and I knew that we were building something here. We knew that people loved our product. It would have been different if we thought, you know, this is a so-so product and, you know, I don't know if it's ever going to get legs, but we knew the team we were kind of building around. My brother was involved. Greg was our CFO. And so we had, you know, three people that really were operating the business. And I think, you know, if we could find that one bank, you know, someone that could help finance this. We thought we could really go from here, you know, one level to the next level, a big jump. And that's what happened. We're not done yet. We'll be back in a moment. 
I know a lot of you have had this experience because for those of us who in 2020 were all sent home and we were stuck in a lockdown during the pandemic, we had a lot of time on our hands and I saw an ad for Masterclass and I thought, I want to better myself. I want access to all of these brilliant people who teach you things. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Masterclass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with more than 200 plus of the world's best and smartest. For just under 10 bucks a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And I don't care, you can wake up one morning and say, I want to learn about business. And then another where you say, I want to learn how to survive in the wild if I have no water and no fire to make me warm. You can access Masterclass on your phone, on your computer, smart TV, or even in audio mode. And the classes totally make a difference. Don't wait another moment to start your learning journey with Masterclass. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Liz. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Liz. Masterclass.com slash Liz. Who was the first store that put you on the shelf? Um, a store in Minneapolis, St. Paul, um, a small specialty chain called Lunds and Byerly's. And, um, and, and they were the first grocery store chain, but there was um, in upper Midwest, there's some food co-ops and there was a food co-op uh, in St. Peter, Minnesota was the very first store that we were on shelf. Um, but it was one store and then maybe we get another one, but Lunds and Byerly's had a cha- chain of stores and then they started out in three and then soon we were in all of theirs. And then, so would, you, big... would you stock the store? You'd go and say, oh, did somebody did. buy? We did. Yeah. We sure did. Dan got to know all the grocery store managers. In we the did all the delivery. I mean, we started was... with three stores and, and delivered the product, stocked it. You know, we had a rotation through, throughout the week and we had a two stores and three stores and five and pretty, they have about 30 stores. They're a real upscale grocery chain in Minneapolis and St. Paul. And they gave us a shot. It was awesome. Yeah. You don't, uh, you know, you, you don't seem to be blown away by that. I am because I have covered the food industry and the grocery industry and getting shelf space anywhere is near impossible. It is so political and vicious and, you know, there's Orville Redenbacher, who owned the store shelves and some of these other names that were very famous. How did you convince bigger chains to make some room for you? Well, you great know, question. yes, it was. It is a great question. I mean, we built sort of concentric circles around, um, you know, where we had acceptance, you know, in the upper Midwest. We didn't start by leaping over to L.A. or New York. You know, we we built our business regionally. Uh, first. And, you know, and, you know, I think what was so important to us is word of mouth and, you know, and our reputation within the store. So like when when somebody told us, like, don't ever let your store shelves um, go, go empty, you know, which is really hard to do during COVID, which, you know, back then, but Dan said to all the store managers, you know, he gave them his number so that they could call and say, hey, you're low. And he'd run up there and stock the shelves. So, I mean, we tried to build this relationship um, with every single store that we possibly could and every single corporation, you know, when it got to be that level to be a good partner. Um, because what we began to understand 
and and we took we took a little bit of um, advantage because early on in two thousand early two thousands they didn't integrate natural and organic foods together, and so they would put us over in the natural and organic section. Away, we didn't get to be on the store shelf, you know, where Orville was or all the others, you know. And so we had our own little following in the natural and organic section, and we drove revenue there and traffic there. Um, And and so we took the real estate that they gave us and made the best of it, and tried to potentiate their revenue and made the and and our we always felt like our job was to make the buyer look really good who who made the choice for us, Dan. What was the best mistake you guys made? And I I phrase it like that because if you're smart, you learn from your mistakes and you can always turn them on their heads and make it a failure that actually worked in your favor. I mean, is there a point where you said, why did we do that? And then you were able to turn it around and make it a positive? Yeah, I mean, I I think there's, you know, we had many situations. um, We had... uh, an incident when we were working with the Vikings um, that did not go so well uh, in terms of, you know, um, uh, just bad publicity that we were tied to because our product was with the Vikings. You know, we made decisions in terms of build outs that were like, are we crazy? We don't have any business and we're spending a million dollars on a build out. And I think, you know, for us, you know, Ange hit on it. These decisions that you made, it's not about you're going to make bad decisions like you're going to you're going to mess up. It's how you respond to them. And I think we were always really good about, okay, we made a mistake. Let's fix it. And I think I think grocers and the buyers always because we really focused about building relationships with the buyers and putting a ton of energy into that. So when we made a mistake, which we did, they would call us and say, hey, fix it. And we fixed it. And that was kind of at the core. I mean, our core with our team always was great product, great service. You know, we are going to always produce a great product. We're going to always have great service. And um, I think that ties into mistakes are going to happen. And how do you respond when they happen and you get pinned down and you got to fix it? So, Angie, the name change. It wasn't always Boom Chicka Pop. No, it wasn't. It um you know, when we named it Angie's, it was because we went to the store shelf in 2000, I don't know, four. And at the time, popcorn was called Orville and Vicks and Cracker Jack and Dale and Thomas, yeah, all these men's names. And I was like, where are the, where are the popcorn women? You know, there are no popcorn women. <laughs> so said, well, let's just name it Angie's. So then I'm like, fine, we'll name it Angie's. You know, me coming from second, I was like, okay, we, we got to do something different here. We have to come from a position of empowerment and we need to, you know, we're going to be more than kettle corn. We're going to be popcorn. Maybe we'll do a lot more things. So we need something big and we need something that elicits curiosity and, and celebrates the feminine and, and comes from a position of empowerment and let's do it different and look different than anybody else on shelf. And so we hired a creative agency that came, we came up with Boom Chicka Pop and the bright yellow bag and launched it. And um, within four months, it was our number one selling SKU. Oh my God. But the one I like is lavender or purple. Yeah, right? that was our, that was yeah. our original product. Oh, okay. And we, that's the category, the sweet and salty. And, and that one was what people were used to our old packaging. So we very slowly over the next two years and target was one of those companies that, that allowed us to sort of test it on, on shelf. Like we would switch one package at a time in this, in the new clothes and, and to the see what brand. they reached for. 
Interesting. Yeah. And what we found, what we found was that in our new packaging and new branding, it sold two and three times the velocity of our old packaging. And so there's the answer. You know, consumers vote with their with their pocketbook. So this is your baby. You have grown it into a teenager and it's thriving. And how did you come to the decision to sell it to Conagra? Um, yeah, well, that was a 17 year, yeah, teenager. It was a, you know, it was a journey. And I, when we took private equity, we understood what that meant. It meant, you know, they'll want to, you know, um, realize their investment and, and their investment horizons were, you know, were three to five years. And, you know, that we had private equity in a minority position to start with. And we, we more than, we exploded over those three years. And then um, another TPG growth came in and purchased a full out buyout. And then Dan and I reinvested, sat on the board. And, you know, we were second largest shareholders in that three-year time period. And that led us, that was from 2014 to 2017. And so they were, you know, we had now this, you know, this amazing group of people that understood the macroeconomics of, and they said, you know, now is probably a good time for you to consider selling the whole thing. Sure. And, um, and let's just see. And so then, you know, what ends up happening is you get an investment banker and they kind of help you understand the marketplace and the value of your company. And they know, they know people that are or companies that are interested and, um, you know, they, then, then you go, then you go date companies. Dan, and, what was that we, moment like when, when they handed over the check? Um, you know, oh, they it, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Well, that's what we thought. We'd get a big check and, you know, like, but no. <laughs> I know, you know, um, we've had so many uh, people who founded different drinks and, and then sold to Pepsi and, and, and there's, it's not like that, but you do no. look in your bank account and there one day is a lot of money in there and it's not necessarily the greatest feeling because you're still nervous about your baby and, and yeah. how is it going to really develop? You know, I think on that, since we, we had a couple sales, you know, because in 2011, we brought private equity in yep. and we sold majority in 2014. So that was really an emotional period. The first sale, because it was like, oh my gosh, we made it. Like we, we made it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, and, and we, ro- we rolled some over again. The, the, the run from 2014 to 17 was pure joy and fun. The run up until 2014 was pain, agony, exhilaration, craziness, all the above, chaos. Um, but it, it is, I mean, it's overwhelming. It's beyond comprehension. We still pinch ourselves today. Well, and I want to just say that all of our, like, we talked with our employees, they understood and knew what the objective was. And we had an employee equity pool because what early, early in the days we said, we wanted our success to be, you know, shared. We wanted our success to be our people's success. And, you know, you, you do that through equity um, grants and, you know, and, you know, so when we had a sale both times, we had our employees had, you know, had a significant event. And, you know, it was, it wasn't just our sort of, wow, accomplishment and celebration, but like the whole company got to celebrate because, you know, when we said, you know, we would start a college fund for our kids, like we, it kind of hit us in the, you know, like in the noggin, like, oh my gosh, 
we didn't just got to do it. We didn't just do a college fund for us. We got a college fund going for, you know, 300 people. And oh, it, you know, that was something for us that just felt so gratifying. So do you guys have another business in you, Dan? <laughs> you know, this is, uh, it's a difficult uh, question kind of because I, the, I thought immediately after we sold, it's like, I'm going to take six months off knowing myself, I can't help myself. And I'm a driver and a goer and a doer. And then I realized, you know, Angie and I, we weren't necessarily in the healthiest position physically, mentally, emotionally, you know, it just, we didn't realize how wore down we were. And so we've really taken the last few years to regroup and, you know, decompress and really kind of figure out, spend more time together, healthy time together, rather than, you know, husband, wife trying to build a business and knocking and, out each other out, you know, yeah, yeah, challenges there, but, but, you know, I don't think we're involved. Our hands are involved in a lot of things, a lot of causes and a few investments. Um, you know, we probably will never shut the door if the opportunity arises to find something with our team, the people that we trust and have built, you know, our business with that. If something like that ever arises, that's what's intriguing to me is bringing back the team that, because it's all about the team. It's not about Angie and I, this was never fully about us. It was about all the people that we surrounded ourselves with that made this successful. You know, what should be intriguing to you guys that a business news anchor named Liz Clayman would hide a bag of boom chicka pop <laughs> in her car in the center console so that nobody could see it and drive with one hand and shove with the other the popcorn not, into my mouth. Liz, okay. you're not the only person. We, 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 <laughs> so we as founders, we still, we do that too. It's still, we're eating it all the time. Well, it is such a wonderful story to hear and a journey of so many years of hard work and what it actually takes. But the, the, wonderful moments along the way, including the failures. Yeah. Yes, right. Yeah. It, uh, we think we were a better company because we had failures and honestly learned how to do something better or had competition and we learned how to be better. You know, it just, we just tried to take the, you know, everything that came our way and just tried to turn it into something positive and tried to work with it. I mean, there's just utter exhaustion all the time. And if you can find your way through that, you know, and because most people, you know, there's a wall at some point. And I think Angie and I, because we had each other and my brother, we were able to kind of walk that line and find support with each other. And when we had to, you know, take a quick 10 minute break, you know, from it. So, um, but there's so many great minds out there and startups that, you know, um, sometimes just, you know, we work with startups all the time. We, we take calls all the time and it's really like interesting and exciting for us to give and share what so many people share with us. Wonderful. I'm so appreciative to have you guys as our Everyone Talks to Liz guest, because this is such a joy, but I really sense the generosity you have. And I don't know, is it a Minnesotan thing where you're so nice? I'm evil. I'd be like, you over here, give me that. Don't eat that. <laughs> Test this, kids. Let me know what you think. I'm well, it is so pretty happy. awesome up here in Minnesota. So. Yeah. yeah, I know. I got to come visit. Got to come visit. Hey, great to have you on. Best of luck to both of you. Thank you so much. 
Thanks, Thanks Liz. Liz. Really appreciate it. So nice. Angie and Dan Bastian of Boom Chicka Pop. It's the kettle corn. My go-to stress eating. Save me right now before I implode snack. Thank you very much. Hey, you guys, it's great to have you listening every single time. And um, I'm really appreciative that you're watching the show. Our numbers, our ratings are great lately. And we're so happy you're watching, you know, the claim and countdown Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern. So I'll see you tomorrow every day. Right. And thanks again for listening. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.